program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. I know you're thinking, what the fuck? Did I just hear a football sample on a horror podcast? Yes, you did. Uh, Cam Newton with his beautiful, I'm back. Because that was hilarious. I know not everyone that listens to this is a football fan, and that's cool. I get it. But for me, I am a football fan, and I have to take pleasure in every other team because my team sucks. Um, Go Bears. But anyways, so I don't know. When Cam Newton did that, uh, what was it, two, two weekends ago or whatever, and I was like, that is so a sound clip I need to save. And I did so because, yes, I'm back. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the first ever November recorded episode of What Lurks Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul, who actually intended to record this like two weeks ago. However, kind of got sick, got a little cold. Uh, just enough to sideline me that my voice, well, it wasn't so, it, my voice really didn't take too bad of a hit. I mean, I was nasal for a couple days, but it was more the fact that every time I would talk, I'd start coughing and it was very annoying. And it was just, it wasn't even a, a, a deep, harsh cough or anything. It was like just enough of, it's sort of like that <laughs> kind of thing. And it was like, are you kidding me right now? I don't feel like spending three days editing an episode, taking out every cough. So... I decided, ah, fuck it, I'll push the episode back till I know I can talk without coughing, which is now. And yes, I'm recording in November, which, for those of you who have followed this show for the past couple years, you probably have noticed that every November, it seems, I never record. I don't know if it's like some, like, post-Halloween thing, or if it's just a matter of that I can't think of something to talk about, or what, I, I don't know what it is, really, it just, it always seemed that every November... I never recorded an episode, and I was like, I'm not doing that this year. This year, I'm recording at least one, if not two episodes in November, because I never do. And not to mention, this episode is coming out on the week of the American Thanksgiving. Yes, I know I'm Canadian, but whatever. I live across the border from Detroit, 
So trust me, I know all about the American Thanksgiving and their crazy, stupid fascination with fucking Black Friday. And of course, I, I even found out just today, I was reading comments online about a certain movie I'll be talking about in a few seconds, that in Denmark, apparently they've adopted the whole Black Friday thing. And it's like, wow, really? Is this what it like consumerism has really gotten this bad that like even the European countries have now adopted Black Friday? Fuck. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Black Friday is one of those things. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, to say that I've never indulged in a Black Friday sale. Well, I'm not at five o'clock in the morning and I'm not trouncing all over people. <laughs> but sometimes I do the online thing uh, you know especially if like Shout Factory or Arrow Video or whatever have a Black Friday sale I'll peruse it and be like yeah I'll take that one and that one but I I don't understand the whole oh hey the day before we were all thankful for life and thankful for God and thankful for family and thankful for you know everything that is so great including our great government of the world and then all of a sudden it's like the next day okay now I want to kill everyone while I get that fucking 45 inch screen TV I don't it's just something I don't understand I don't get it but I will say this Black Friday the movie now that was something else um so I kind of got it the day before it was released on demand, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I got a sneak peek version of it. Anyways, took it in today, actually, which is um, still Monday. So you guys will hear this on the Tuesday, but I'm recording Monday night. Anyways, so I watched this movie. This is movie Black Friday. It's starring Devin Sawa, Ivana Baccaro, uh, Michael Jai White, Bruce Campbell. Um, and of course, as a lot of people said, Bruce Campbell, I'm in. Yeah, I was the same way. I saw Bruce was in this and I'm like, I'm in. Anyway, so I finished it today. It's pretty good. I'm going to say it's pretty good. Uh, so my, if I have a complaint about it, it's that the middle act really slows down. I get why they did it and it, it does help the story, but at the same time, it almost slows down for too long. And that was kind of where I was like, all right, come on, let's pick it up now. But other than that, it's a solid film. You'll definitely get a kick out of some of the more subtle humor, especially if you've worked in retail. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's definitely some stereotypes and there's some comments that are made and whatnot that uh, probably remind you of a few people you've come across in your lifetime of retail sales, if you've done retail, which that's, I should also say, like, especially within the workers, some of the stereotypes within the workers, it's not just a retail thing. Like, you can kind of see this in other uh, occupations as well. One thing that I absolutely loved about the film, the colors. This movie pops. The gorgeous colors. Um, and the special effects. Primarily practical effects so of course i'm completely into it um but it is that subtle humor that really made this enjoyable which i will also say this movie won't be for everyone and even within the first day of it being online and it has been in the theaters for a couple days now i'm already seeing the fan reviews that are like this movie sucks this movie's boring this movie was a waste of my time I, I would have had a better time watching paint dry. Okay, I get it. It's not a movie for everyone. But the best way to explain it is 
Take a little bit of Sam Raimi, add some Larry Cohen and some Frank Henenlotter to it, and then top it off with some um, Justin Spitzer-like humor. And those of you that don't know Justin Spitzer, he's done two really big series within a workplace, uh, one being The Office, the other being Superstore. So you take that kind of humor, you mix it with those other elements, and that's kind of what this movie is. Like I said, it's probably the middle act that will lose a few people, but stick around for the end because the end really is worth it, and there is some great moments with Bruce Campbell especially. Um, and for, So I did laugh at one review that I read where somebody said that Bruce Campbell was the only star in this, and I'm like... Uh, you might want to do some research because Michael Jai White was in Spawn and Arrow and he was in The Dark Knight. He's done some work. Uh, Devin Sawa, you know, Final Destination. He was in Casper. He was in Idle Hands. He's done some work. And then Ivana Baccaro, um, she's Ophelia in Pan's Labyrinth. Yes, she was that little girl that we all fell in love with in Pan's Labyrinth. That's her. So (laughs) it was like, um... There's some big talent in this movie. I don't I don't know where people got that Bruce Campbell's the only famous one, but enough about that. There's a couple things that I also want to hit up before we get into this week's review of our Thanksgiving special, the Thanksgiving movie, um, which I haven't mentioned yet because episode 110, we're going back to 1983-1987, I'll explain that later, but we will be uh, reviewing the movie Blood Rage, also known by about 50 other title names, but we'll get to that in a second, because there's a few things that I kind of want to rant about, just a wee bit. So Ridley Scott apparently did an interview with the BBC, and has confirmed confirmed that there are two live action tv series in the works one being blade runner and the other one being alien so here's my thing really quick blade runner as a 10 episode series i think could work i think uh currently right now on what is it adult swim There is an anime series of Blade Runner, Blade Runner Black Lotus. I haven't watched it yet, but from what I have been hearing, some pretty good uh, comments about that. So Blade Runner is one of those things that I think can work as a series. Now, as for Alien, the best way for me to approach this is saying I'll reserve comment until later. Because we all know that I could not stand Alien Covenant. And I'm not sure what they want to do with this series. I don't know if the series is going to be a recreation of the original 1979 movie, or is this another chapter in the Alien series, or what they're doing. All I know is that apparently the pilots have been written for both series. They are both completed, and both series will happen. So, Blade Runner, I'm cautiously optimistic about but alien like i said i'll reserve judgment until later another thing that was mentioned recently (sighs) remakes 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 (laughs) and it's kind of interesting because some remakes are really fucking awesome and then other ones it's like try to remember or try to remind myself that they don't exist because Train to Basan, yes, is getting a U.S. remake because, God forbid, we read subtitles. But anyways, 
It is getting a remake. I think we all saw that coming, and not to mention it has been it was announced several months ago. Well, they gave us the official name of the movie being called Last Train to New York. I feel like this is sort of like a let the right one in, let me in kind of thing where it's like did you really need to change the title? Um I know they're going to Americanize it and as it's been highlighted on the internet so far, a lot of people are like, okay, so it's going to be last train to New York. Where is it coming from? Kind of thing. Will it be Washington? Will it be Chicago? Will it be Detroit? Wherever. Um, the remake is to be produced by New Line Cinema. Um, Indonesian director Timo J. Jajanto, I think I'm, sa- I'm probably saying his name completely wrong, but he's going to be directing it. Um, and James Wan, I do know, is a cha- attached to it as well. Like, okay, the thing is, is that I'm not, it's kind of like with the Alien series. I think it's best that I reserve comment until later because this could be really good. It actually could work, but I'm I'm nervous because... Train to Busan is practically a perfect movie. I, I know it's imperfectly perfect, right? Because there's still, it's still got flaws, but I mean, it's just so well done. I mean, to the point where it even affects me on an emotional level. And it's like, there's not a lot of movies that could do that, especially in the horror genre of all genres. You know, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I've noticed that in Korea, like in South Korea, they actually consider uh, Train to Busan to be a drama. I've noticed uh, with a lot of their horror series, they they refer to them more as dramas than they do horror. But um, yeah, so the the title for it is Last Train to New York. I'm not completely against this. Like I said, James Wan's name is attached to it as well. So there is potential for this to be good. But uh, it was just, I saw the title and I'm like, but I get it. I do get it. So it's going to happen nonetheless, and we'll see what happens. Uh, finally, before we get into Blood Rage, there's one movie I do want to talk about that I took in recently. And the reason why I want to talk about it is because I honestly didn't think I'd like it, and I did. And that's Dune, uh, the 2021 Denis Villeneuve um, re-imagine-y, re re-adaptation, I guess you'd call it, of Dune. I like this one better than the 1984 David Lynch version. Uh, not that that's hard <laughs> to do because kind of really don't like that Lynch version. But um, with this Dune, okay, so it, pretty much I wasn't even... It's not that I wasn't going to watch it. It was just one of those where I'm kind of like, well, I'll get to it when I get to it kind of thing. And then I had a few friends all kind of say to me, you know, like, you should give it a shot. We think you'd like it, this and that. And I'm like, all right, whatever, I'll give it a shot. And I also took, I also watched this while I wasn't feeling too shit hot. So it was one of those nights where I was like, ah, all right, well, I can't sleep, but I'm not doing anything. So put it on and let's see what I think of it. Well, here's the thing not bad. Visually gorgeous. This movie's fucking gorgeous. Like, I mean, Del- Dennis Villeneuve's uh, magnum opus, in my opinion, is Blade Runner 2049, and that's a beautiful looking movie. I'll even say Arrival, as much as I'm not a big fan of it, and I found Arrival to be somewhat boring. Visually, though, it was gorgeous. Like, man's got an eye for film. Like, he just knows how to put things on the screen. So, visually, Dune 
much like his other work, is gorgeous. Um, some of the some of the photography in this film is just through the roof. And I will say, because this was something that I noticed not everyone was on board with, I personally liked it. I liked the Hans Zimmer score that accompanied this. Yeah, it's a little... Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Kind of typical, I guess. Um, you know, a lot of certain people were like, well, this is like pretty much every score for these kinds of movies these days. Okay, maybe. But I still thought it complemented the well the, the movie pretty well. Uh, the the acting is solid straight through um, because, let's face it, it's all A-listers. You have Jason Momoa and, um, of course, I can't remember names now uh, because I, I kind of want to highlight actually the two that are not the big names. But uh, Rebecca Ferguson's in this. Um, uh, what's his name? Oscar Isaac. He's in it. So, I mean, like you got big names in this movie, but it's the two younger actors and that would be timothy chalamet and zendaya or zendaya is it zendaya i think it's zendaya actually anyways and we know her she's the mary jane in the new spider-man universe they've created and whatnot the thing is is that i haven't seen enough acting from the two younger actors so i don't know one how talented they are although they seem like they're okay but even zendaya's mary jane it wasn't until the second film that i kind of started to warm up to her version of it i didn't like her in the first film so the other thing though is is that this is a, a part one of two movie and both characters are going to be featured more prominently in that second part and that's kind of what I'm like, okay, are they going to be strong enough to carry this? Because pretty much every other actor that's been in this, Dave Bautista is another one, by the way. Um, they've all been, they're all strong. They're all strong actors. They can hold their own. I, I'm not worried about them, it, but it's the two younger actors. The thing is, is that here's my real gripe with Dune. And I, I, I found this out pretty much a day before I went into watching this and I was like, Okay, whatever. Fuck it. I'll still watch it. It's a part one of two. Um, it's supposed to be a two-part movie. And for a two-part adaptation... Now, this first part is two and a half hours long. And I feel it's half an hour too long. Um, probably because, sort of like with Black Friday, the middle act seems to drag too long. I'm like, if you could have shaved off a bit of that, it probably the movie still would have been just as powerful as as it was as a two and a half hour film, but it wouldn't have felt so long. And especially knowing that there's a second part coming and that supposedly is another two and a half hours long. It's like, it's a five hour movie that could be shaved down to about four hours. I know everyone bitched about Zack Snyder's justice league being four hours, but at least it didn't feel like it was four hours. This movie was two and a half hours and I felt like it almost felt like it was three hours. So but aside from that, like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to shit on this movie because it actually was a pretty damn good flick. I really did enjoy it. I still think that Villeneuve's best film is Blade Runner 2049, which was a movie that prior to me seeing that I was skeptical about. And then when I saw it, it was like, oh, mind blown. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, the thing is, is with Dune, I don't regret giving my time to it. So that's definitely a plus. And like I said, it's a lot better than David Lynch's version. David Lynch's 1984 version of it is a catastrophe. But thats I don't completely blame Lynch for that. You can thank the studio for that one. So, I mean, it is what it is. 
Enough said about everything recent. Now it's time to take a time travel back to the 1980s. Our, our favorite our favorite decade if you're a horror movie fan. It seems seems like all of a sudden everybody's jumped on the 80s bandwagon. Even those who, who weren't alive in the 80s. All of a sudden it's like they remember the 80s. And it's like you were born in 95. <laughs> How do you remember the 80s? But anyway. So we're going to do the trailer timeout, which is a short trailer. It's just a little tiny trailer. It won't take long. And when we return, we're going to talk about cranberry sauce and what's not cranberry sauce. And we're going to talk about twin brothers. And we're going to talk about a crazy mother who has a nervous breakdown. Uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of cool things. Um, including uh, Bruce Rubin, but he's not that Bruce Rubin. I'll explain that later. After the trailer for Slasher, no. Nightmare at Shadow Woods, no. Um, the Complex, no. Blood Rage, back in the splat, kids. Looks like you're going to get a chance to meet the rest of the family. My psychotic brother just escaped. I just don't want to spoil things. We also need more turkey? No, I'm pretty good, thanks. I don't like to talk about my brother. He gives me nightmares. I'm Thanksgiving. You know, somebody ought to tell them to get inside. Nobody should be out with my brother around. He looked exactly like Terry, except he had this really wild, crazed look in his eyes. There's nobody after me, and he's chasing me, and he's trying to hurt me. You're going to hurt my kitty. Oh, God. You're a real sweetheart. You know that? A real sweetheart. It's not cranberry sauce, Artie. It's not cranberry sauce. If you manage to get through this podcast episode and you don't feel like hanging yourself after you've heard it i might want to recommend to you that on spotify if you listen to this podcast through spotify that is the black christmas um 1974 original soundtrack by carl zittrer is available on spotify now it's two tracks it's kind of it, it, there's what is it silent night and evil night on the vinyl which I've had the vinyl soundtrack for some time now. The first side is the Silent Night side, and the other side of the vinyl is the Evil Night side. Anyways, it's only two tracks based on the way that they put the recording together and whatnot. But it's really cool because it's probably one of the most creepiest soundtracks I can actually think of. Like, really, like it is actually a creepy soundtrack. And it's got the obscene phone calls and I want to lick your pretty cunt and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's all in there and but anyways i saw that um waxwork records had announced that they had a sale on their digital releases a lot of their digital um stuff that they offer through their website was it's like a ten dollars per recording and whatnot black christmas is one of them on there um my Bloody Valentine from 1981 is on there. The new Candyman soundtrack is on there. There's a lot of different scores. Anyways, Black Christmas being one of them, I kind of put one and one together and I was like, you know what? Normally when they start releasing things digitally, it eventually makes its way to streaming services or streaming apps like Spotify and YouTube and whatnot. So I checked Spotify last night and sure as shit found out Black Christmas soundtrack is on there. And I was like, I definitely want to mention that on this podcast before we get into cranberry sauce. So, yeah. If you, you know, happen to finish this and you're like, you know, I'm in, I'm in a bit of a mood for some creepy Christmas music. Yeah, go listen to Black Christmas. It'll be worth your while. 
Anyways, 1987. 1987 was when this movie was released. 1983 is when it was filmed. Weird four-year gap between filming process and release. But anyways, Blood Rage. Blood Rage had its nationwide release May 1st. Now, it had a limited release March 29th of 1987. Although most people will tell you they don't remember that. As a matter of fact, there's quite a few people from 1987 that don't even remember this movie being out. They don't remember the VHS release of it. They don't remember anything. It, it was something Arrow Video brought it back to the masses in 2015. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, this is a, a forgotten gem. It's a, it's a hidden relic. And it's like, literally is. Like, even as much as I remember looking at movies on the video rack back in the 80s I don't remember Blood Rage and it's got a cool poster too but even that I don't remember the poster from the 80s so it's one of those movies but that being said it's a movie that I'm glad I have discovered it is a lot of fun and it's going to be worth talking about but yeah so filmed in 1983 released in 1987 most people will tell you they don't remember that the movie's directed by John Grismer, who also directed um, a 1977 film known as Scalpel, which I believe also has a, a, a another name, False uh, Face, basically. Um, he also wrote Scalpel, and he wrote also a film called The Bride. Uh, other than that, that's pretty much the work he's done. Uh, after this film, he pretty much dropped out of filming altogether. Uh, I will explain that in a little bit why that happened. <laughs> but anyways, yes. So, uh, John Grismer is the director for this film and also worked on Scalpel and The Bride. Um, this movie, Blood Rage, was written by Bruce Rubin, although he was credited for the film as Richard Lambden. I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Anyways, Bruce Rubin. This Bruce Rubin is not the one that everyone seems to think he is. And this has been pointed out a couple times that in certain movie reviews online, people keep saying Bruce Rubin, who gave us movies like Ghost, the Oscar winning Ghost. No, this Bruce Rubin is a different one. He did two movies, um, Zapped and zapped again now zapped is one of those like sex comedies like porkies and whatnot scar it's scarred it starred scott Bayo and willie ames and then it had the follow-up sequel uh which went straight to video it didn't even make it to the theaters and that one starred kelly williams uh ira, ira hayden um ira hayden you guys would probably remember he was the wizard master in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He was the kid that couldn't walk, but in his dreams he was, I am the wizard master and stuff. That guy, uh, Linda Blair, was in it, and so was Lyle Alzado, which was a former football star, gone actor, and was kind of a joke, but whenever you saw him, you knew he was going to do some kind of, you know, funky action role or whatever. It's kind of, sort of like Hulk Hogan. He, not really a great actor, but when he was in the movies, everybody enjoyed him. Uh, Blood Rage was produced by Marianne Cantor. She's also an actress in this uh, because they had cast an actress from New York 
the actress never showed up for the shoot. So, Marianne Cantor also plays the role of Dr. Berman in this film because they needed someone to play the role. And she was like, well, I know the script. I know what I'm doing. I might as well just play the role. And we love her for it. Some really cool and funny special effects were applied to her role. Uh, Cinematography. The director of photography for this film was Richard E. Brooks. And prior to this in 1982, keep in mind, remember, this was filmed in 1983. So just prior to this, he actually worked on a documentary, We Will Rock You, Queen Live in Concert. And he he uh, worked on that in 1982. So that's pretty cool. You know, you go from working with Freddie Mercury to um, Louise Lasser. All right. Range, I guess. But um, he was also one thing that a, a, a lot of people liked about Richard was that he was known to work with film students uh, for a very special low price kind of thing. If he if he liked their subject and he he liked what they were going to do with the movie he was all for it so he would do it at a a relatively low price so that's pretty cool special effects for this film special effects and makeup by ed french ed french would go on to do some like super bangers later on but this is pretty much where he sort of got his start he also is an actor in this film and he even got to create his own severed head for this movie so that's kind of cool but he's worked on at if you, if you know, Ed French has worked on films like Sleepaway Camp, Chud, The Stuff, Creepshow 2, Lurkers, uh, Vampire's Kiss, Chopper Chicks and Zombie Town. And then all of a sudden he starts to move upward and he does movies like Terminator 2. And then you're looking at Hellraiser Bloodline and he worked on Midnight Meat Train, Star Trek 6, The Undiscovered Country and Sinister 2. So, I mean... Yeah, sure. He started off low. He did this little low-budget flick known as Blood Rage, but eventually he would do something as big as Terminator 2, you know? So that's pretty fucking cool. Um, The music, the score, which you're hearing in the background, which you are taking in and going, this is really fucking cool music. Yes, by Richard Einhorn. Uh, Richard, uh, probably, in my opinion, probably one of his best scores was for the movie The Prowler. Uh, but he also worked on films like Shockwaves, Don't Go in the House, Eyes of a Stranger, and Dead of Winter. And now, we will move on to our starring cast. I might add that most of this cast did not act very much at all, <laughs> either prior to or after this movie. So, um, probably the biggest name in this movie is Louise Lasser. She plays Maddie Simmons. She plays the mother. She plays Todd and Terry's mother in this. Uh, She was probably, at the time when this came out, she was probably most well-known for her role as Mary Hartman on the TV drama series known as Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. That was the name of the show. Uh, (laughs) Really cool thing about this. So you want to talk about, you know, shows that work really hard. Um And, you know, actors that work really hard and creative teams that work really hard. Well, in a two-season set, so it ran from 1967 to 1977, 325 episodes in that time. Like, that's crazy. That is crazy amounts of fucking TV that they filmed for this. Um, 
And Sid Haig was actually on the Mary Hartman series as well. He used to, he had, um, uh, I think it was like 30 appearances or something like that, where he played a character by the name of Texas. Um, and then Louise, after, okay, she was known for Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, but she also worked on Frank Henenlotter's film Frankenhooker. She was Jeffrey's mother in that. And she was Violet in the film Mystery Men. So she's done some work. Um, like I said, probably she's the most famous name in this movie. The second probably most famous name, aside from Ed French, I might say, because obviously he went on to do a lot of special effects and whatnot. But um, the next big name in this is our twins, played by Mark Soper. He plays both Todd and Terry. Um, and he does it quite well, I might add. Like He, he does it pretty good. But he was also... Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if he'd brag about this, or not, uh, depending on, I guess, the crowd that he's around. But he was in the Graveyard Shift 2, the sequel to the first Graveyard Shift film. Uh, he was in Phenomenon with um, John Travolta. He was in Swordfish, and he was in White o Oleander. I think I'm saying that name. That that I think I'm saying that right. Uh, plus, he had several appearances on the TV series Knott's Landing. Uh, Mary Ann Cantor as... Dr. Berman, like I said, she's the producer for this that subbed in because their New York actress decided not to show. I still, I actually don't know who the New York actress was. Couldn't find anything on that. And I don't recall it being mentioned in any of the documentaries or featurettes that I watched. So, don't know who that actress was, but whatever. Her loss. We have Julie Gordon as Karen. Karen is Terry's girlfriend. Um, she also played a receptionist in the film Deadly Illusion. That film starred Billy D. Williams, Morgan Fairchild, and Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell of the movie Maniac. Or most of you probably know him from Rocky, but I know him from Maniac. Jane Benson as Julie. And she was also in the movie A Breed Apart which is a film with Rucker, Hour, Rucker Hauer, sorry, Powers Booth, Kathleen Turner, and Donald Pleasance. Some big names in that film. And that's pretty much about the only other movies she did. James Farrell as Artie. He was in this, and then he didn't return to acting until 2002 when he appeared in an episode of The Sopranos. So like I said, like a lot of this cast, they did not work either much prior to or after. Um... Ed French as Bill, obviously, special effects guy. He got to create his own severed head for this movie. Jerry Lou as Beth. She played an accountant in the 1976 film Dark August. Chad Montgomery as Greg Ramsey, and he didn't act again until 2014 in a movie called Broken Leg. It's a comedy. Um, but yeah, and as a matter of fact, I think it was that, and I think he had one other acting credit, and that was that. Lisa Randall, who plays Andrea. And thanks for coming out, Lisa, because this was her only role. She did nothing after, she did nothing before. Kudos to her for getting a role, but how? Who knows? She obviously showed up for the audition, and they're like, eh, all right, we'll take you. But that was it. She never acted again. Uh, William Fuller as Brad. Brad is Maddie's uh, boyfriend, fiance in this. 
He was in movies like The Champ. Just a good that's a good flick, actually. That's a pretty good movie. Uh, he was in Hot Stuff. He was in Porky's Two the next day and Porky's Revenge. We're almost done, kids. We're almost done. Uh, Doug Weiser as Jackie was also in the movie Midnight Crossing, which is a Faye Dunaway and Kim Cattrall movie that he also wrote and co-produced. And again, didn't do much. (laughs) And finally, our condom dealer. Yes, there is actually a scene in this movie where there is a dude in the bathrooms selling condoms out of his coat. And he was played by dun, 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 Ted Raimi. Ooh, yeah, there's a big name. Ted Raimi, you know, from Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, uh, Intruder. He was in Shocker. He was in Darkman, Candyman, uh, Maniac Cop 3, Wishmaster, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, The Grudge, the Meet, Midnight Meat Train. And also, I'm going to throw this in there because... This always makes me smile. He had a special cameo on an episode of Alf. Remember Alf, the alien from Melmac? Yeah, he was on there. I mean, it's Ted Raimi. We, we've seen him everywhere. But apparently this is his first film feature. Um, which, it's weird because if you look at his listings, it comes after a few movies he did. But it's because the movie was filmed in 83 and not released until four years later. So... Actually, it makes sense that it would be considered his first feature film. The runtime for Blood Rage is an hour and 22 minutes if you're watching the uncut version. If you're watching the cut version, which is the one that is, uh, what's that called? Shadow at, is it? No, Night at Shadow Woods, is it? Nightmare at Shadow Woods. That's the cut version. That one is an hour and 19 minutes, and that's the one they took all the gore out and stuff. But the uncut version, which is called Slasher, even though it's Blood Rage, I'll explain all of this, don't worry. But anyways, uh, (laughs) that one is the hour and 22 minute uh, film. The movie is rated R for violence, gore, profanity, frightening scenes, and nudity. As for the budget of the gross profits, I ain't got a fucking clue. I couldn't find nothing nowhere. As they said in Spaceballs, we ain't found shit. Uh, There was nothing. I looked everywhere and I was like, I give up on this one. So, quickly the synopsis and then we will review the fuck out of this movie. The synopsis for The Complex slash Nightmare at Shadow Woods slash Slasher slash Blood Rage is Todd and Terry are twins. Blonde, cute as buttons. Bright and identical in every respect, with one exception. One of them is a murderer. It all started one night at the drive-in, when a teenager was slaughtered in the backseat of his car while his girlfriend watched. Todd was found guilty for the heinous crime and locked away in an asylum. Years passed, and Terry lived happily with his mother, who smothered him with enough love for two sons. All was fine! Until one night, when they received news that Todd escaped. The nightmare begins once again, and out of its forbidding darkness steps a maniacal killer. A maniacal killer. Raging for blood. But which brother is the killer? The truth may not be seen until it's too late. And that's not cranberry sauce, Artie. That's what we're calling this segment. That's not cranberry sauce. 
So, the titles. Multiple titles for this fucking movie. So, during the shoot, you know, sometimes they'll have like the, you know, those fake names so that people don't know what movie's actually being filmed and whatnot. So, during the filming of this movie, it was known as The Complex. Then, the when the movie was released, it was released in theaters as Blood Rage originally. But for some reason, the title card said Slasher because Slasher was what John Grissomer wanted to actually call the movie. And then the title was changed to Blood Rage. And then when after it came out in the theaters, they cut the shit out of the film. They re-released it in May. But now it was known as Nightmare at Shadow Woods. And then it wasn't until Arrow Video came along and they, you know, they released their Blu-ray set and it got its actual name of Blood Rage. But if you watched the, the Blu-ray, when the title card comes up, it says Slasher because they didn't actually change it. I don't think there actually ever was a title card that said Blood Rage. So that happened. Uh, <laughs> Nightmare at Shadow Woods, now as I mentioned, is the heavily edited version that's the one that's missing over three minutes of footage and the reason why is because it basically took all the gore out all the gore all the awesome special effects completely taken out of the film however there is an extra scene where there's like a swimming pool scene that was not found on the vhs version of blood rage that was released by uh i wrote it down prism entertainment so they took all the gore out but they added this pool scene and then of course when Arrow Video released they have there's a standard two disc version and then there's a three disc special edition version um, I believe it's the three disc version comes with um, the, the original theatrical then there's the edited version and then there's the one where they took the whole thing and put it all together as one big movie which that's known as Blood Rage basically it's the version I've seen and am commenting on for this review um, but yeah I will be honest I've never seen the Nightmare at Shadow Woods version I'm kind of glad for that but then again like I said I discovered this movie way later in my years uh, maybe about four or five years ago is when I discovered it so that is that. The scenes in the film that are on the nature trails, um, they were filmed at the University of North Florida. Uh, and one other note about the filming of this film. So the producer, Marianne Cant Cant Cantor, I always want to say Cantner, I don't know why, but Marianne Cantor, uh, she, okay, so John Grismer was the director for this film. He apparently quit. Um, and Cantor had to sort of talk him back into coming back. And the reason why was apparently he had a very hard time dealing with Louise Lasser. Uh, the two of them did not get along. He couldn't stand her. And apparently halfway through the middle of the shoot, he basically said, sayonara, I'm out. And Marianne Cantor basically had to, uh, convince him to come back. So, yeah, he didn't get along with Louise. And let's start talking about the actors in this. Let's talk about Louise Laster for a moment. She plays the bizarre and over-the-top mother of Todd and Terry. She plays Maddie. Apparently, and this started on the TV series uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, she gained a reputation for being well-known for doing nervous breakdowns on TV 
Uh, so naturally in this film, she would have a nervous breakdown. Is that what we're going to call it? Or is it that we're going to call it that she would continuously try to call Brad in his, his, his office, his office that is connected to the housing complex where she lives. At one point he even states he's talking to, I believe he's talking to the police or whatever. And he even says like, you know, I'm in room, it's 107 or 307 or something like that. He's, he's in a, a room that's connected to this housing complex right over there. I, 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 re, I remember he says something about, I'm right over there. But yet, when Maddie wants to get a hold of him, she's contacting an operator on the phone. And she's harassing this operator about, get me my boyfriend. I need my boyfriend. Operator, you have to help me. Get me my boyfriend. And she goes on and on and on. And it's like, why are you doing this? He's literally a walk away. As a matter of fact, that's even pointed out in the film. Because later on, when she has to go find Brad, because she knows that Todd is around somewhere and that... In her mind, she thinks Todd is killing people. She specifically goes to Brad's office and finds his dismembered body. And it doesn't take her long to get there. So I don't understand the whole breakdown when she's on the phone with the operator and she's like, I need my boyfriend and all this. And she's whining and crying and it feels like it's almost extra padding for a movie that's already short as it is. But I don't know, because maybe it's just because Louise Lasser was known for doing nervous breakdowns on TV and film. So they said, here, let's have a breakdown scene because it's what she's good at. Maybe this is also why her and the director didn't get along. I don't fucking know. It's a it's a weird sequence of of scenes, but it's there. It's kind of funny at the same time, though, because this movie is very laughable. I find a lot of the times when I watch it, I get more of a laugh than anything else. It's not scary. It's not, there's no tension to it. It's just fucking funny with some really cool effects. Um, and th that's the other thing too with her character is her character is very fucked up because at the beginning of the movie, she goes and sees Todd in his mental institute that he's locked up in and she's all loving and she gives him cake cake that he throws at the wall. Cause he's like, I didn't do it. Terry did it because that that's the other thing too, is at the very beginning of this movie, they show the two kids, the two twins, they show that Terry does the killing. And then all he does is he has blood on his hands and he smears it on his brother's face, puts the ax in his brother's hand and says he did it. And nobody ever questioned shit. Like, you're trying to tell me that Todd got locked up. We never did fingerprints. We never we never got eyewitness accounts. You, you mean the girlfriend that ran away, they never chased her down to say which kid did it? I mean, I get it. They were supposed to be twins, so maybe she would fuck that up. But it's like, I don't think that's how that works. I don't think they just say, oh, well, the brother said he did it, so we'll lock you up. And you, you get to live with mom, who's a little psychotic and, well... She's kind of something. Um, and I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's just, I don't understand the fear of Todd because she's totally loving with him in the beginning and then literally goes into complete hysterics about him escaping the Institute. And I don't know. But maybe, see, maybe the thing is, because, okay, he's starting to remember what happened that night, right? Like, he, he knows that now it wasn't him that did it. It was, it was Terry that did the killing, not Todd. So is this going to ruin her good thing with Terry? Because there's some really weird shit that's implied between her and Terry. I mean, here's the other thing. Like, okay, she announces at the Thanksgiving dinner that she's going to be getting married to Brad. 
Brad's her fiance and you know, all this stuff. But then when Brad wants to be like sort of like affectionate and give her a kiss and stuff like that, Terry seems like he can't handle it. And she seems like she's trying to hide it from Terry. And at the same time, she wants to hide it from everybody that Todd got out. Terry seems to have no problem with just being like, oh, by the way, you're going to meet the whole family now. My crazy brother just got out. And he's kind of okay with it. Like, I mean, he keeps like egging everyone on to be nervous about it. But he himself, he doesn't seem like he's really all that worried about it. Probably because he knows Todd is actually harmless. Um, but it's it's the way Maddie reacts. And especially in spoilers, obviously you figured out by now that I'm going to spoil the shit out of this, but her reaction at the very end, when she realizes that Terry is actually the one that died and Todd is the one that lived and she like, she can't handle it. She like kills herself. And it's like, okay, what exactly are we implying here? Because I think if you actually pay attention to the details, something was going on between Maddie and Terry and that's fucked up. But then at the same time, why is she getting married to Brad then? But I don't know. It's kind of a whole weird thing. But when it comes down to the actors and actresses in this thing, I mean, Louise Lasser and Mark Soper are pretty much the two that are standouts because, like I said, and it's been highlighted uh, when I did the whole cast thing, a lot of the actors really didn't do much work after this movie Thankfully, though, I will say this, because we got to talk about Mark for a bit here. Thankfully, he's a part of this. I'm so glad that they, they cast him for Todd and Terry, uh, especially as Terry, because one, I love the fact that he takes such glee in killing his victims. Like, it's 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 actually fun to watch. It's, it Like I said, this movie, it, this movie's listed as a horror film. It should be listed as a comedy. Um even bloody disgusting. Like they said, like with Mark Soper's performance, like, you know, it was awkward at times, but he does a really good job separating the two personalities of the two twins. And that's what I actually really enjoy about this as well. Like I like the fact that he does have a few like weird moments. Um, like there's certain lines that like when he's talking, he seems like he's almost putting too much emphasis on. It's that over the top acting, but again, this is one of those movies that do you really take it that serious? I mean, even Louise Lasser herself didn't really seem like she took it all too serious. She just more had problems with the director. But the thing is, is that with Mark Soper, like you can tell he's having a great time. Like his smile on his face is a legitimate smile. He's not acting. He's like fucking loving this. And I love that because that's what makes a movie like this work. When you see that the cast and the crew are having a great time, it makes it a great time for us as the audience, right? And not to mention, like, it's even fun, like, just watching him, like, play with everyone. How he gets, like, everyone, like, amped up about, you know, my brother's coming back. You know, maybe we shouldn't be out because my brother's going to be coming. You know, you might want to watch it because my brother, you know, are you prepared to deal with my brother? And he's, like, it's almost like he's twisting all the little knobs of all the different characters and he's having fun doing it. And then there's the kills, the kills that Terry, you know, exacts on his victims and whatnot. I mean, first off, Brad's death is fucking hilarious because it's the whole chopped off hand. Okay. So you have the Terry chops off Brad's hand. His hand falls on the ground. It's still holding a beer. 
But then you're looking at it and the fingers are still moving. The fingers would not still be fucking moving. The second that hand is severed off, there's nothing to move that hand. But it's funny because it's still moving. And then you have Dr. Berman's death. That's probably one of the greatest fucking things in this movie. Kudos to the producer for taking on that role because this movie needs that kill. First off, you have the sharpest machete ever. Like, it sliced her in half like it was a hot knife going through butter. Like, there was no struggle at all. He goes, whoop, and five seconds later, she's in two halves on the fucking ground. It's like, I don't think that's how that would work. Like, you have to get through spine. You have to get through bone and chisel and shit like that. And he just, whoop, and she's in two pieces. Two pieces that continuously still move, even after he sliced her in half. I'm sorry, the legs maybe there's a bit of a twitch factor, but these things are like fucking kicking. And it's like, I don't think that's how that works. (laughs) And I mean, like the two halves are like almost six feet apart as well. But not to mention she keeps screaming. She still has enough power in her lungs. She has enough like awareness to keep screaming. It's like you get split in half like that. I'm pretty sure you either have gone into shock or completely dead at that point. Like, I don't think you'd be screaming, but it's so funny. And that's what makes the movie like just an enjoy. It's an enjoyment just to watch it. Um, and I mean, that's the thing. That's what makes this, this movie has a huge cult following cult following. And there's, even though it's not as well known as it should be, it's gaining that popularity because the more people that are watching it are telling their friends, Oh my God, you got to watch this movie. We love it. The special effects work of Ed French is as I, I, this is, I had to say this because I thought this was perfect. It's cranberry delicious. This movie is so great. It's so red and it's so there's blood spatter all over the place. And it's just, I'm so thankful for it. I know I read a few reviews and comments online where people said, you know, well, French's work doesn't match up with the effect, you know, the effective work of such names as Savini and Botine and Winston and whatnot. But first off, I have to ask, does every effect ever released in any movie always have to have a signature name attached to it? On top of the fact, Ed French goes on to work on Terminator 2. Like, that's a huge fucking movie. Okay, like... And and, not, and you heard the list of movies that I mentioned earlier. That's only the tip of the iceberg. He's worked on oh, something like 80 or 90 films. Like, he's done a lot of work. No, it's not Tom Savini. No, it's not Stan Winston. But it didn't need to be. This movie works on its own level. And then you have the score. The score by Richard Einhorn. This, fuck, it's such a gem. It's an actual true score of an 80s movie. You know, you'll see a lot of these movies today. They come out. And it's a throwback to the 80s. And the score sounds really cool. A lot of them sound like, you know, very synth wavy and whatnot. But they never actually feel like an 80s score. This, okay, I mean, granted, yes, it was released in 1987. So it is an 80s score, but it definitely has that feel. The sad part to it, though, is that it's never had a soundtrack release of any kind. Never been released on vinyl, not cassette, not even fucking 8-track, like nothing. Maybe someday, you know, a record label like maybe Terror Vision Records or Waxwork Records, you know, might release it. Maybe, hopefully, but until then, it's never been released. There's, you can go like on YouTube if you want to check out the music and whatnot. There's like five-minute rips of audio 
Uh, a lot of people got them from the VHS recordings and whatnot. I, the sound quality is not great, but I mean, you can you can at least have like a five minute you know clip of of the score and whatnot. I think a lot of people grabbed the music that came from the end credits and whatnot. So I mean, it is what it is. Hopefully, one day somebody releases it. I mean, if Black Christmas can have a release of its soundtrack and we're talking a soundtrack that's 25 minutes long it's actually considered an ep it's not even considered a full-length album and half of that is the phone calls and it works come on man let's 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 get this soundtrack out for blood rage because it the, the music is amazing uh in terms of receptions of this film for the most part the receptions that are out there, a lot of people do approach it in a positive manner. Uh, Clayton Dillard of Slant Magazine gave it, you know, four and a half out of five stars, said it was funny, it was brutal, uh, features in a, an above average amount of TNA. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, it, and it, it plays well in the genre and whatnot. Uh, variety film reviews, eh, they weren't as impressed they basically felt that Louise Lasser was the only one who actually had any screen presence. I think that takes away from Mark Soper as the two twins. And I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that review, but um, they called it a trite slasher flick. And it's like, it is a slasher flick. I'm not going to lie. And it was totally cashing in on that whole slasher craze. I mean, there's even a lot of comparisons to the, from this film to Halloween or Halloween 2. And you can see... Uh, especially the first Halloween. I mean, if you compare the two in the first Halloween, the movie starts off with young Michael Myers killing his sister. In this, you have two twin brothers and one of them kills this kid in the backseat of a car. And then, you know, Michael Myers gets sent away to a mental institute and escapes 15 years later. In this, Todd gets sent away to a mental institute and escapes 10 years later. Um, so, I mean, like, yes, you can see the comparisons and whatnot. It is definitely a slasher flick. But to say that Louise Lasser is the only one who had any screen presence, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Mark Soper definitely shows up to this as well. Um, one quote that I actually pulled the full quote for, Christopher Michel of Cineview. Um, I, I feel that I, I kind of agree a lot with his quote. He basically said, it's astonishing that so much effort and extras have gone into what amounts to a footnote in the slasher genre, but it's a testament to the undeniable pleasure in a film that in terms of quality sits somewhere between Friday the 13th from 1980 and troll two of 1990. And I do have to say that I think I agree with that. Like Friday the 13th, that first one, is an epic film. That is a really good slasher flick. And then you've got a movie like Troll 2 that is like laughable and considered maybe one of the worst films of all time. Blood Rage is definitely sort of in the middle of that. And I think that's the best way to describe this. On IMDb, the movie is currently sitting at a 5.8 out of 10. Now, if you're looking for the podcast zero rating, I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to say, if you go into this movie looking for an Oscar winner, you're doing it wrong. If you go into this movie looking for a game changer in the slasher genre, you're doing it wrong. If you go into this movie looking for A-plus acting and the best effects the genre has ever had to offer, you're doing it wrong. The point I'm trying to make is, is it's all in how you, the audience, 
approach this as to whether you enjoy it. It's a low-budget, low-brow, badly-acted gore-fest. But it's absolutely an entertaining thrill ride of an 82-minute driving classic. And that's the thing. It, this is one of those movies, it's a stupid escape from reality. And it doesn't taste like cranberry sauce. It doesn't need to. You don't need to have that that great taste in your mouth or whatever. This movie is just, it's you know what this movie is? It's a fucking party. That's what it is. It's a riot. And if you're sitting around with your friends and you're looking for a good time to enjoy on a cool Thanksgiving's night, uh, let this one carve into your funny bone because it's it's worth the ride. It's, it's fucking stupid. That's what this movie is. It's stupid. But it's intelligent enough to keep you entertained it's it's funny i it's i don't know i i do see where sometimes people really want to criticize down on the slasher genres and whatnot but this one is sort of different in that it knows it's not perfect you know what i mean like it it, it revels in the fact that it's it's a, a silly little movie i mean like i said when the most famous line that comes out of this movie is that's not cranberry sauce and you can say that to pretty much any slasher fan or horror movie fan and they'll go oh you're talking blood rage like yes we get it uh not the only thanksgiving day movie in existence but pretty much might be the most well-loved of the thanksgiving horror films uh because thanks killing three not (laughs) thanks killing wasn't that good but at least that movie was funny thanks killing three well and then i know there's home sweet home as well but as for this movie i give this one a mouth-watering seven cranberry sauces out of ten i do enjoy this film uh i do think it's a little bit higher than a five out of 10 or, you know, like I was saying, like that, that one quote there where the guy was saying, you know, between Friday the 13th and troll two, I would lean more towards Friday the 13th. Um, because this movie is fun. It definitely gives me the laughs. It's one that I can watch it. There's rewatchability to it. It's not one that, you know, you watch once and you go, well, I've seen it and I'm done. And, I'll probably never return. No, you'll definitely return to it. It's definitely fun. And it's one that also I like turning people on to. So if I know that I've got a group of friends that haven't seen it, I will say, hey, let's sit down and watch Blood Rage. You'll get a good kick out of it. If anything, like I said, the the Brad's kill and Dr. Brenner's kill, those two are absolutely hilarious and so much fun. And on that note... I will thank you for listening and gobble, gobble, gobble to all American listeners. Yes, all of you out of the USA. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I know you guys are big on that holiday. Here in Canada, we are too, but it's not. I always find it funny. Like in in the United States, Thanksgiving is like a four-day event. It's like, oh my God, it's a long weekend. It's huge. And we're all going to be thankful one day and kill each other the next. And here in Canada, it's like... We have CFL football, I guess. Well, yeah, we like to eat and do the turkey thing. But we actually do it on the Sunday. We don't even do it on the Monday. A lot of people do it on the Sunday here. And it's just, there's no big Thanksgiving Day sales, you know, and stuff like that. But then again, ours is in October, where in the States it's in November. And it's right before Christmas. So you got your Macy Day parades with your Santa Clauses and your Ho-Ho-Ho's and 
all that sort of stuff. So I don't know. It, it Black Friday. I'll never get Black Friday. I'll, I'll never understand the craze about that. But it is what it is. But yeah, happy gobble gobble to all of you. And again, like I said, thank you for listening. It, I'm going to say uh, for the next several weeks now, because for some reason I'm in a bit of a weird Christmassy kind of horror kind of mood. So for the next several weeks, we'll be doing Christmas-related horror movies uh, starting next week. I actually have one lined up already that I think is going to be fun to talk about. But for that, just so you know, you can find the show pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streaming these days. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, let's see, Amazon Music, FM Player, Podbean, uh, the list goes on and on and on. So anywhere you pretty much listen to your podcast, you'll find the show on social media. The Twitter account is still alive, folks. I haven't killed it yet. But uh, Facebook and Instagram primarily, although Instagram, I really went quiet. Again, was under the weather for the last couple of weeks, so I really didn't do a whole lot of anything. I mean, even as much as I use the Facebook account, I really haven't posted a whole lot but yeah, so you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're going to close out this week's episode actually with a track. Um, it's the track that's playing in the car that's like, I'm going to get you, going to get you song uh, by Elliot Sokoloff. It wasn't really a famous track, but I was able to hunt it down. So I thought, oh, I'll close out with that. As for the next episode, okay, so we're starting with Next week, we're going to start with the Christmas horror, like the the horror episodes. But they'll be holiday related. And there's one that I don't think gets a lot of love. It's a low budget flick that is actually very entertaining. So I thought, you know what? I think next week I'm going to start with that one. It's a movie from 2015 stars Ashley Mary Nunez and it was directed by her brother Todd. It's a movie called All Through the House and it's an interesting slasher that I thought would be a lot of fun to talk about. So that will be the next episode. And that's that. That's it. It's all good. It's all over with. I know this episode is pretty much as stuffed as your tummies are after all that stuffing in Turkey, eh? A. I know. I totally am talking about an American holiday and then I throw the Canadian A right at the end. Yep. You can tell I live in a border city. <laughs> All right, Al, do what you do. You need to shut the fuck up. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. Oh, God!